0: these paddles in a bottle with their paddles and the bottles in a poodle and the poodles eating noodles. They call this a muddle puddle treadle poodle beetle noodle bottle paddle battle (laughs) This man is a genius. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to be there, too. Glad you have chosen to join us. We appreciate your time. And we always appreciate working with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, sir?
1: Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. How's it going?
0: <laughs> Mom <laughs> and Dad in Florida. Hey, we're just here living the stereotype.
1: Hey, do you guys have those? Uh, what is it? The uh, the garters for the
0: socks. <laughs> No, no, I haven't gotten to that's the next stage. All right. Just no. double check. That's the prognosis. Sure. If, you,
2: if you are a real Florida resident, there's two things that happen. Okay. You can always tell the tourists because they're wearing socks and sandals. Oh, okay. Those are tourists. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the tourists are out there baking in the sun because they're from up north and they're white as sheets. <laughs> but the people who live here year round do not sunbathe because about once a week they talk about skin cancer on TV. Uh-huh. They do. And so people who live here aren't as tan as the visitors who come here. And that's how you can tell a tourist from a resident.
0: Another way you can tell is that Floridians by law are required to have a below the knee length bathrobe for standing out there when the paramedics come by to pick up your neighbor after the coronary. And then you're free to say, I mean, don't say gay. But what you can say is, you know, that Joe, I liked him. He was a good Joe. His <laughs> wife, on the other hand, fat. her You can have.
1: Oy. I and, and if you're wearing something above the knee, then we've got some other issues to worry about.
0: Then you're probably working <laughs> in a club. Right. Somewhere and making good money.
1: <laughs> ah, right. I think I'm going to be moving sometime soon.
0: Ah, uh, there you go. Well, just bring your uh, sunscreen. That's all <laughs> I can say. <tell> you you <laughs> don't need much where you live. <laughs> SPF 50 on the way. And one factoid before we move on to our guest that we are looking forward to talking to this gentleman so much, talking to his various iterations, his various impersonations, and just to get his viewpoint on show business and his storied career. And he is very much intimately involved with another storied career, but we'll get to that in a moment. Suzanne pointed out to me the other day that sunglasses are lost so often in Seattle that it's actually per capita the place where the most sunglasses are sold, Seattle. I've and heard that. Mainly be, yeah. And it's mainly because people can't remember where they put them.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. And then we sit on them. We break them. Cause Oh, that's where I put them under there.
2: <laughs> that's where I put we, them. We have a box of sunglasses by the front door. So every time we leave, we grab a pair of sunglasses. So we have lots of sunglasses. Anyhow, and
0: we have a lot to talk about today oh, with a very do. special gentleman. Oh,
2: gosh, we are so excited to be talking to this gentleman. Jim Meskimen is an accomplished actor, improviser, and voice artist whose work has been seen and heard on television in movies, and on stage for many years. He studied theater and art in his early life and graduated from the University of California in Santa Cruz with a bachelor's degree in fine art after working extensively in oil painting, drawing, and lithography while also working in the theater. Jim Meskimen grew up in a theatrical family. His sister Ellen is an improvisational actress and singer. His late father Freeman was an actor and director, and his mother is Golden Globe and Emmy nominated actress Marion Ross of TV's Happy Days. Jim Meskeman and his wife Tamara live in Los Angeles and have been fixtures in the improvisation theater community in New York and Los Angeles. And currently perform with the really spontaneous theater company. And we are pleased for the very first time to welcome Jim Maskeman to Manson Mitchell. Hello, Hello. Jim.
3: Good morning. What a what a nice uh, what a nice introduction that I must have written.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and very partial at that. You were sparing of our time too. Oh. With, with a curriculum vitae like yours, we could
3: write books, Jim. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh thank you great to be on great to be on how's the weather there
2: it it, today it's raining it's uh funny we our rainy season is all summer long you're welcome it it started today yeah Uh, yeah, thank you sent it over from seattle i would imagine and um yeah it's going to be raining most of the day today rather lightly unusually a little thunder this morning but how's the weather where you are jim
3: well, I happen to be in San Diego, California, and it looks like it rained last night because we went outside and it was it's all wet on the patio here and uh so that's very needful. We we're, we're, we don't get as much rain as you guys do, so we're we're happy to have it.
2: Yeah, we get it all in the summer in big buckets.
0: I think he's referring to Seattle. Ah!
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay.
0: We we
3: we're, broadcast we are, diagonally. We are from triangulating diagonally. Bet- oh nice.
2: San Diego, the station in Seattle, and where Gary and I live, which is Sarasota, Florida. So we archive
3: via
0: podcast anywhere you get your podcast.
2: That's true. And we have listeners from all over the world. We've been on about uh, 15 plus years now. And I can't believe we just found you, Jim. We were so excited. And I had to foreshorten your introduction because of the dozens and dozens and dozens of (laughs) movies television video games stage he has his own YouTube empire the the YouTube empire everything which we want to make sure that we refer to people for your vast 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 career I was completely blown away by everything that you've done how about you are you blown away by that
3: I'm, that's very kind. I, I appreciate the the encomium. That's that's really sweet of you. I uh I you know I, I'm been very fortunate. I'm a lucky guy because my mother raised me to be a creative person. She always put up with my uh, my impulses to draw and paint and perform and make things. And and so I've just uh, steadily kept at it. And uh, I I, feel, I consider myself just tremendously fortunate to have had the career that I've had and, and met the kind of people that I've met, including yourselves.
0: And you maintain an attitude of gratitude that's clear by the way you are speaking and that definitely would stand anyone in good stead, Jim. Let me ask you a question since this is uh, when we have a first timer on, we like to refer to that guest, not only as an honored guest, but as an opportunity for us to have a get to know you interview. Let me come at it there for a soft entry into an interview, Jim And Let me go ahead and say this to you. When I was 15- (laughs) when i was 15 years old i liked to play some what used to be called sandlot baseball there and i was you know only passably interested in the curriculum in uh, my sophomore year of high school right and i would enjoy any number of tv shows but when i was 15 it was 1969 and there was a lot going on in vietnam in America, in the streets of America, in the politics of America, et cetera, et cetera. And I got caught up in all of that. When, now I'm trying to do my arithmetic quickly here, Jim. When you were 15, you had a very different experience because as a 15 year old, you're someone who could say, hey, look, everybody, my mom is on TV with
3: Opie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, when I was about 15, Happy Days was in full swing and my mother Marion Ross who uh you know as you've been alluding to she played Marion Cunningham Mrs. C on that uh that long running ABC hit show and uh yeah it was it was my mom had always been a working actress when i was growing up but she was not famous by any means she did you know you'd see her on Mannix and uh Mission the old Mission Impossible show and and The Brady Bunch and all the shows that now we we recognize those names so well but you know, she'd be a guest star on those shows, but she didn't have a steady gig until, until Gary Marshall cast her as Marion Cunningham. And uh, being a working actor, that, that's what my life has turned out to be. I'm a working actor in shows. I'm in the, the show Gaslit, which is airing right now on Stars with Sean Penn and Julia Roberts. I'm in an upcoming episode of, of Hunters, which uh, I don't know if people in, <laughs> if people in Florida follow that Nazi hunting show or not. Uh, but I'm going to be in that in their new season and a, a new uh, series coming out in October called The Big Door Prize. But getting back to mom, she was a hardworking, hustling, struggling uh, actress, uh, a single mom, raised my sister and I. By the way, my sister, I think you, you had an old reference uh, about what my sister does. She's actually now an, an award winning, Emmy Award winning uh, writer producer with two small oh. children of her own at this point. But um, back then, uh, Ellen and I, my sister, we were being raised by a working actress. And so, you know, when I look back at that, I I have so much admiration for what mom did. As a kid, of course, I had no appreciation at all. (laughs) But as a a grown up, I'm like, oh, my God, how did you do it?
2: You know, Jim, when um, when people are, are looking at how it is that they obtain information and what works for them in, in getting information. Most people consider themselves visually oriented. I'm a little different. I, I consider myself audially oriented. If, if mm-hmm. I need directions to someplace, I know people can only do it by writing out a picture of the streets and they mm-hmm. say, okay, you're going to go left here and right there and cross this main road. And for me, I say, just tell it to me. Just tell me what it is. Well, you mm-hmm. know, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And I, okay, I got it. Because for me, I like to take information in through my ears rather than my eyes. And I said to myself, I. With all those voices that you do, at some point mm-hmm. you really had to be in tune with the fact that you are very audially oriented. When yes, did I you start thought, doing
3: voice auricular. I think auricular is a much more Shakespearean word. Uh, oh, I'll it be take funny auricular. You ask for directions if you're the kind of person that could only figure out directions from the sound that your engine would make, well, you want to go up here to and then... <laughs> and could
0: you give us directions to orc please <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly exactly yeah no i'm I'm very visually uh visually oriented i find uh, it, uh but i also am yeah as you, as you mentioned i i'm very key, uh, keen to uh analyze things uh through hearing and the sound and you know i listen to voices uh i do a lot of celebrity voices in my show and in my job you know i'm a Voice matching artist. I, I, do Robert De Niro sometimes, you know, for things, and uh, that's that's you know that's part of my job. Oh, Colin Firth, the great uh, British actor, Colin Firth, who's a uh, pleasant. I've done his voice quite often, and Sir Ian McKellen as well. As long as we're on the Brits, we'll just run the gamut. And uh, Sam Elliott is another chap. But uh, right about now, this time in the morning, in Los Angeles is a little easier for me to hit so it for me it's a it 's a fun study and i 've been able to to turn it into a, a career to some degree and uh it 's fun but i am I am oriented very much to listen and uh and try to figure out uh, the musicality of voices and and the particularities that make up their sound
2: there's the cadence and there's the mouth shape. And in looking at some of your YouTubes, I could see where visually you were, you were taking on like the face of the person that you were um, doing an impression of. Have you ever counted or has somebody ever counted how many different voices you do?
3: Oh, you know, it changes all the time because uh, they come and go. Uh, I'm always, I'm always adding new ones on and find, discovering new ones. Uh, Celebrities fall in and out of favor as well so you you don't really want to include them sometimes in an act but um yeah i think it's in the i think it's probably in the 75 80 range something like that it's not it's not a humongous number when you think about the planet i think there are seven billion plus people most of those people i can't do okay well that's (laughs) right and
0: and, and you bring up a great point i mean stars will come to glory they go in and out of favor it's quite true Uh, jim hold on just a second just a second trying to get this there's a fly in it. got it almost had it so anyway um how was it working on fresh prince of bel air
3: speaking of killing flies uh that's funny uh so uh it was fun i enjoyed it it was actually the first tv show i uh i was ever a part of and so it was a great adventure and you know at the at the time it was uh was swell to work with will and uh, I, I the first episode I did was really meant to be a pilot uh for my character to spin off into another series uh this professor uh, will wills that uh, when he went to college for an episode i think he i don't know he only went to college for one episode but uh I played his college professor who did impressions was kind of modeled after the Robin Williams character in Dead poet society, and oh. that was mm-hmm. uh Intended to be a pilot, so I was in it a lot. And I, afterwards, I thought I thought all TV shows were like that. I thought anytime you were a guest star, you dominated the show. But uh, as it turns out, that's not the way it runs. But usually, when you're a guest star in a TV show, as I have been many many times on shows like Friends and Third Rock from the Sun, you know you've got maybe one little scene, and and you're usually setting up the joke for the stars. Uh, it's an interesting little function. I've done that for years and years. That's the kind of job that my mom used to do uh, in Happy Days until she became Marion Ross. And then they, they began to recognize that they had something really special with her. By the way, she's uh, she's doing really well. She's 93, going to be 94 this year.
0: God very happy.
3: She's retired now. She doesn't really work unless it's a, sometimes some animated projects. She's done, even done some video games. She's SpongeBob SquarePants' grandma occasionally in in, uh, cartoons. Oh, funny. Uh, And I I record her at my house generally. I've got a sound studio and stuff. But anyway, she's doing really fine. She says hi, sends her love, and says you turned out so nicely. Well, that's
0: Uh. (laughs) yes, that's right. And she referred to us as children when we had the privilege of interviewing your wonderful mother right here on Manson Mitchell and on another show.
3: I rarely have an interview where (laughs) I... You where know, my mother has not gone first. So yes. That's a nice-
0: <laughs> that's a, and as a matter of fact, let me just say by way of an encomium that I thought the sculptor did a beautiful job on the statue oh, yeah. of your mother, Marion Ross, which proudly it is. Uh, I take it, is adjacent to her in front of a theater named in her honor in Albert Lee, Minnesota, her hometown.
3: That's right. That sculptor is named Chad Fisher, and he is a world-class uh, wonderful sculptor that I've, I've become friends with. We were we were just so amazed by the job he did. He's a young man. He's in his 40s, and he's just he's uh, he's really doing it from the right place. He studied in Europe, and that statue we saw it unveiled last July 4th in Albert Lee. And oh gosh, it was just such a treat. And it's, she's sitting there right now. Probably the snow is melting now, and she's not covered with snow. So uh, she's looking out over the lake where Marion was uh, a lifeguard when she was a girl. So it's really sweet
0: that's right i recall we discussed
2: we, that, uh, yes. we went through albert lee a couple of times um traveling, yeah traveling in in that area from coast to coast and um and knew that that was her hometown and and so that was yeah. uh, interesting going through there who were your early influences jim because when i was growing up i remember being quite entertained by frank gorshin and rich little and john Beiner. I mean, what? who did you kind of admire or want to be like when you were growing up? Was that well, those, was, those any of those gentlemen people? For sure. yeah. Those
3: gentlemen, for sure. I mean, uh, of course, television was pretty hit and miss back then. You couldn't just say, I think I'll watch this show. <laughs> you had to wait, you had to wait and, uh, and be very patient. But when I would come across Rich Little, that there was a show briefly called Copycats, I remember as a kid. And I don't think I saw more than about four or five episodes because they just kind of dashed it all over the schedule. Uh, but I remember just feeling extremely charmed and, and enchanted by by seeing, you know, I always like seeing grown men uh, act like other people. And and Peter Sellers was another person who I, I never saw him act like like Peter Sellers and uh, Jonathan Winters, Peter Ustinoff. These are all people that my mom kind of brought to my attention and uh, Danny Kay, the great Danny Kay, uh, you know, just performers that would were, would change and and do magical things with their voices, and that uh, you know that gave me hope that there maybe there's maybe there's a way to fit into this world that is amusing and fun and magical and and can give people this this feeling of excitement.
0: Jim let me ask you you know now your your mom who was a woman of the theater and in television, yeah. screens large and small and has done exceptionally well. I know that there are Hollywood parents. I won't I won't bring individuals into it now, but what I'm getting at is there are people who will go so far as to move to the heartland so as not to raise their children in and around Hollywood they just don't yeah. they see what goes on it, it, they're thinking as a parent this isn't a good choice and so they make other arrangements what was that like if it was even a factor in your home
3: growing up oh well you know we live not very close to Hollywood so I know Hollywood is a state of mind Hollywood is a kind of a uh, an industry it's a lot of things but I can certainly sympathize with parents that don't want to live in Los Angeles, especially now. It's, it's rather unpleasant. Uh, and if you're not trying to play the game of getting into TV and movies, uh, you know, I don't know that you necessarily need to be there. Uh, there's, there's bad influences. But I think you can. a person who's going to run into bad influences is going to find them anywhere they go. So in our case, you know, I walked to school. I lived in the valley, San Fernando Valley. Uh, rode my bike around, and back then in the '60s, it was a whole different scene. Uh, when we raised my daughter there, because we, we uh, my wife and I, Tamara, who runs an acting school, a very great acting school called the Acting Center in Los Angeles. When we moved back from New York City, where we'd been doing improv and and radio and, and all kinds of stuff, uh, we raised my daughter. But we, you know, we sent her to a private school, but but we stayed in in the area we didn't have any problem with that because uh we knew we were artists and we were all going to have to work in this industry and go to warner brothers go to paramount and uh cbs radford and and make the rounds so i think it's all in how you how you raise the child and in our case we raised another artist she's a wonderful uh actress singer and uh, also an audiobook narrator my daughter taylor and um you know we we couldn't keep her out of hollywood but uh you know she managed to weather it pretty well in fact she she lives in hollywood right now so um i don't know i think i think it's in how you it's how you raise the kid to be to have judgment right to have proper judgment about uh what will what will be successful for them and achieve their uh, help them achieve their goals
2: Did you get into your work after college? Because I noticed you had a fine arts degree, and I was wondering if you were working in the media as a youngster, like a child actor, an Opie, if you will, or if it was a choice that you made after college.
3: It was a choice I made after college, actually. I'd done plays in college, but I was at that time on a track to become a fine artist, as you mentioned. So I studied painting uh, there in, in Santa Cruz, I had a, and I met a really great instructor who was a Spanish guy who was just a visiting artist, and he invited me to come to Spain. I, I went back and forth from Spain a couple of times, and uh, it was actually in Madrid, Spain, that I decided, well, I really love painting and drawing. It's a big part of me, but the ex- the excitement that I'm looking for in my life and the social aspect of what I'm looking for in a career are uh, are gonna come to me from working as an actor. So I switched gears entirely, moved to New York City and and started my career there. And I was about 23 at that time.
2: You know what, I really like what you just said, Jim, and I'll tell you why. I think maybe when it comes to the, the really tiny tots who are kind of thrown on screen, there's no choice in the matter. But if, if you were exposed to all of the television, movies, stage, And then went to college, it sounds like it was really a truly a choice, weighing out all the various things as to what you wanted to do and why you wanted to do it. It seems like there's less of a choice when you're younger because your brain isn't all fully developed. But at 23, you could say, this is what I think I want to do. This is how I'm going to go about it. And it seems like you make an adult choice rather than having something thrust upon you. And maybe that's why you have a a good attitude about it.
3: Maybe so. I'm still waiting for my brain to develop, but I I understand what you're saying. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I I didn't, I was always kind of the kid who drew uh, and in school I drew cartoons and I taught myself by reading mad magazine. And I, I really enjoyed uh, sitting around drawing. I I would get together with friends and and draw. So um, that's how I really saw myself. But then, as you say, you know, as as I got older, I had to change my evaluation for what I what I really wanted to make a career out of, and that's why I reached that decision. But it's been wonderful, and I've had a now these days I can draw and I can paint. I have enough time and wherewithal to to uh, create stuff for YouTube, as you mentioned. I put a lot of content on social media, TikTok. Uh, I'm at Jim Pressions, for anyone who's interested. And uh, we put up at least, at least uh, one or two videos a day on YouTube. And uh, I get to just flex my creative muscles all the time, which I think is one of the great things about this age we live in. There's all kinds of negative aspects, of course. But the great thing is I can come up with an idea for something fun or something funny, and I can shoot it. I can edit it. I can put music behind it. And I can put it on a platform that literally people all over the world can enjoy within just a couple of hours. I mean, and for nothing, you know, it costs me nothing. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's delightful.
0: I'd like to go back to your mention of mad magazine. Well, Now, <laughs> now you've oh, got yeah. me into something. I remember I was blessed. I went to parochial school. There And we were all sitting there in our uniforms, supposedly concentrating on geography or whatever it was at the time. But there was one moment in particular when, fortunately, the guy in front of me was the huskiest kid in class, big, broad-shouldered guy, friendly, easygoing guy, behind whose broad shoulders I could (laughs) tuck away my copy of Mad (laughs) Magazine, because I didn't give a damn about geography, and I was No. no good in art class. So I would read Mad Magazine. Those guys were good at art. (laughs) And I would read it. And I can still remember the time I was reading my issue of Mad Magazine. And they were satirizing a show that many people will remember called Land of the Giants.
3: Yeah.
0: Land of the Giant Boars. Yes, yes. And so there's, and so I'm at the part where they're walking through a, ju- a couple of the protagonists from the show are walking through this jungle and there are these giant spheres, these gourds, you know, and uh, the one guy says, Wow, that's the biggest grape I've ever or that's the biggest one just blew the joke. So I will shoot myself now. There the one guy walking through trudging through the jungle Benny's laughing over there in the studio. He goes, "Wow, that's the biggest watermelon I've ever seen." And his partner goes, "That was a grape." <laughs> It's, it's just the idea of the unexpected. And Mad Magazine was great at that. Also great at satire. Recently on eBay, I pursued this opportunity, one of a kind, at that, on that day, selling a decal of Alfred E. Newman dressed up as Uncle Sam. Now we all know the famous posters during wartime of Uncle Sam saying "I need you," but this was a decal, a Mad Magazine cover of Alfred E. Newman dressed up as Uncle Sam, and he's going, "Who needs you?" Who <laughs> <I> needs you? <laughs> and I thought, that's the glory of Mad Magazine was that they were able to take vaudeville they were able to take those roots coming from places like the cat skills and they turned it into humor that became the plight of every man and every woman and certainly every kid
3: but well, yeah absolutely totally agree uh, i absorbed all that stuff and you know i just had the good fortune i'm an audiobook narrator it's one of my one of my jobs that i do and uh i just finished yesterday narrating a 22-hour book about the guy who no, nobody knows this man's name really, but he was the, the guy who was the the brains, the aesthetic behind Mad Magazine, who started it off. Do you know who that man is?
0: Uh, the name I recall
3: is Don Martin. That that was a cartoonist uh, who did uh, panels in the in the magazine, but the man who really began the magazine and gave it its impetus and who really set the satirical tone for it was a man named Harvey Kurtzman. He was an artist himself and an editor, and he went on to uh, do many, many things. He came out of the comic book realm. Anyway, I I encourage anybody to to look up Harvey Kurtzman because he was a great genius. And I believe he changed a lot of people's lives just by by making that setting the tone for that brilliant, brilliant magazine.
0: And so Don Martin then would be one of the usual gang of idiots.
3: One of the usual gang of idiots. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you're taking me
0: back jim mask yeah. this is just a lot of fun talking to you today we're going to take our one and only break of this hour we're talking with jim Maskeman, and when you're talking to him you're talking through him to great celebrities both those who are with us and those who have passed on even some presidents He is a multi-talented man and has a deep understanding of the comic underpinning of it all. And we're facing it all in this world today. We could use a laugh. Give us a couple of minutes. We are Manson Mitchell and we will be right back here at the home of Alternative Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. Hi everybody, this is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detail in each magazine with all your itinerary we could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure
1: staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests
3: Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act.
1: The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now.
0: Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150
2: KKNW. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Jim Meskimen. He is a a voice artist. And uh, if you look up his his, uh, information on YouTube or his website or anywhere, you will be amazed surprised and delighted at all of the voices and all of the things that he does jim please let our our listeners know what is what is your website and uh, any other media information that you would like to share
3: yes but if you're driving i, I think you should pull over because you, you could go right off the road uh jim is my general website but go to youtube and just look up jim prescience impressions with a j and you'll find uh, just a more things than you can ever watch. I've done a ton of uh, videos that uh, are just designed to be fun and delightful. Every day I do a celebrity fortune cookie where I open up a, a fortune cookie and read the fortune in a different celebrity voice. I've been doing that every day for about four years. Uh, so there's tons of stuff like that and also some interesting deepfake uh, videos where I do an impression and then – through the the digital magic of uh, deep fake I can I can resemble that person very strongly and there's all kinds of little fun experiments on there so I uh, that's on YouTube at Jim Pressions, uh Instagram the same way. By the way I, I should mention that I've uh, you know I've been a, a working actor for 35 plus years and uh, it's not stopping it's just heating up and I learned I guess from my mom so many things. And then I, when I worked in New York, I learned so many things by by talking to other actors and by experiencing the career myself. I've started an online course because a lot of people come up to me and they say, "How do you get to be an actor? How do you, you know, how do you do it?" And uh, I don't teach acting; I leave that to my wife. She has a, an acting school, but I did start an online course, uh, and you can find it at jimworkingactor.com, jimworkingactor.com, where I lay out all the the main things that I that I do and that I did to have a career for, the, for over 30 years. And uh, it, 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 it doesn't require, you know, tremendous talent or genius to maintain a business, which is what it is. And in the course, I, you know, I lay out all the important things that a person has to consider to keep going because anybody can get a, one job or two jobs, but to build it into a, a lifelong enterprise uh, and do well and support your family and, and make enough money so that you don't have to, ha- to have another job. Uh, these are the kind of things that you have to do. So so I invite people to check that out as well.
2: Good. And gym, you also mentioned earlier about being uh, on Gaslit, on STARS with Sean yeah. Penn and Julia Roberts. You, I know you have a lot of television things coming up as well. Is that on your yeah. website?
3: uh you, that, no but you, you that's on stars and uh you can find right. it on you know on your tv listings okay uh, okay i i my my episodes have not aired yet but they will in the next few weeks
2: there you and, go uh, yeah there great. you go i got that. and i also want to spell your name too uh for people who are looking you up meskimen is spelled m-e-s-k-i-m-e-n jim meskimen so yeah you, plural you it's plural <laughs> I Right, more more than one man because more than one man. I would say a man of a thousand voices, except Mel Blanc took that one. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. one one thing I heard during an interview, I believe it was, it was years and years ago, of course, on the Tonight Show, and Mel Blanc was talking about how he got a start. He was asked, "How did you get your start in the business?" And isn't it the way? of that business and really trying to get ahead on this planet, no matter who you are, Jim. And I'm referring to the fact, as reported by Mel Blank himself, when he told the host that when he got started there was somebody perhaps an executive at one of the studios who decided that he didn't like mel blank didn't want to invest any time energy or money in him and he did everything he could to prevent mel blank from advancing in the industry and then as mel wow. blank said and then he died there <laughs> and so it took the death of this uh, this boulder on impediment, mel blank's path right. the, the impediment to his progress Before he can move ahead, there's a sense of kismet about that, of destiny. And yet other people may be talented in ways that that is very personal to them that would benefit the world in the great way. I just don't understand how it is that there are people who make it their business to prevent others from offering their gifts to the world. I've never understood that.
3: Yeah, well, you wouldn't. I mean, you're a social person. You're a a nice guy. Uh, these people do exist, obviously. I don't recommend that you kill them. I think that eventually they die off on their own, as this gentleman did. Uh, I, I always recommend that, you know, you take as much responsibility as possible. For instance, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people that have kind of voted me down at auditions or, uh, I don't know, not been fans or, or whatever. I, I don't really feel like anybody's been out to get me. But it, you can. your mind can go that way very easily. We can say, well... Somebody must be behind the scenes because my luck is so bad. There must be something, uh, somebody who is influencing things negatively. Maybe it's something online or whatever. And you're, you can just go down this awful rabbit hole. The best way, I think, is to just take more full responsibility for the whole thing and go, you know, this career is mine. This life is mine. I'm in charge. Uh, it's up to me. You know, these kind of thoughts. And then, and then with a little positivity, say I can, I can make it no matter what. I can achieve what I want to achieve. It doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter all the impediments. It doesn't matter if there's somebody out there, you know, 24 seven on some channel talking trash about me. Uh, I can still do this. And uh, I think that's more profitable. Otherwise you get to be kind of kind of mean and kind of acting like a victim. And nobody likes that.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: And And it comes across during a performance. If you're a, a bitter comedian, for example, it stops being funny after a while because people are, are more notice of, they're more inclined to notice the bitterness than the humor you're trying to project.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like Lenny, it makes me think of Lenny Bruce, the great Lenny Bruce. And if you listen to his old routines, uh, the the latter part of his life, his routine was going on stage and reading the transcripts from whatever obscenity trial he was involved in and, and, and pointing out the uh, the idiocy of the, the people prosecuting him. And uh, that's not why people fell in love with Lenny Bruce. You know, <laughs> we, were, we were amazed by his characters and his sense of humor and it was something a little more lighthearted.
2: Go I have I, so many questions. Go ahead. One,
3: well, let's, I, I just
0: wanted to, to uh, since I'm sort of um, following this train of thought here, it, it fascinates me, the courage. Robin Williams himself yes. had a comment in a documentary to say yeah. that, There are very, very talented stand-up comics. You will never know because they couldn't handle. I mean, emotionally, they were unable to withstand the heckling. And so we lost the value that they could bring to the stage. Do you have experiences or or any track record of trying to do your job and somebody does their best to interfere with you?
3: Uh, A little, but, you know, I've not been a stand-up. I've not chosen that path. That's a very specific career. I was an improviser in a theater. I, I, when I do my one-man show, Jim Pressions, I do it in a theatrical setting. I don't like to have a lot of waiters and waitresses banging around serving drinks. And, and I don't like the comedy club atmosphere for that reason. I don't, I don't enjoy being heckled, and I don't like performing for people that are exclusively drunk, you know? Uh, and I, I just don't like the environment of comedy clubs personally. I respect the craft, and I respect the people that do it very much. But for me, I like, I, you know, like you said, my mom was from the theater, so was my father. I, I feel comfortable in the theater. People are there for the same reason I'm there. We're there to exchange ideas and have a good time together and, and experience maybe something very funny, maybe something very aesthetic or moving somehow. Uh, but one time I was doing a uh, an act. Uh, I have a character I play who's an art historian. He's a British art historian named Nestor Jackdaws. And it's always improvised. And What I do is I have him... Uh, do a thing called the virtual museum where I get a suggestion from the audience just thrown out at random of the title of a painting or a piece of art that's never been created before and then I I pretend that I'm projecting it on the wall and uh, I describe it and um, it's so much fun and audiences love it and it's 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 a really interesting exercise in improv and and people creating an image together because that's eventually what happens and one time I was doing it at a private home for a fundraiser of some sort and some fellow that was there who was an old actor himself felt like he had to uh challenge me and uh and sort of deny everything I was doing and improve on everything I was doing and it was and it just totally pissed off everybody in the room. I tried to give him money. <laughs> I tried to get him to stop. Cuz it was a rather, I mean there couldn't have been six or seven people there so he really was was destroying it. Uh, and what do you do? Uh, some people feel the need, like you said, to kind of take everybody down a peg and go down the path they want to go down. And not. That's the only time I've really had a, a serious bout with someone who actually kind of kind of put the brakes on the whole deal. Interesting.
2: There's Interesting.
0: a there's a story that was told by yeah. a frequent guest on our show, a man by the name of Hank Garrett. He's the sole surviving cast member from Car 54. Where are you? He also oh played God. Columbo's boss in the Columbo series. Uh, uh, in, former wrestler, martial artist, all kinds of stuff this gentleman has done. And Hank Garrett also did stand-up comedy. I mean, he worked. in. You know, he went up in the summer into the mountains in New York to earn his stripes as a, a comedian. And wow. at one point, I'm not sure where it was, but he told us the story that he got up on stage, ready to do his act. And who is in the audience but Milton Burl? Oh. And Hank Garrett told us that Milton Burl, can you imagine? This shouldn't happen to you or anyone, really. Milton <laughs> Burl gets up, gets on stage. Well, Hank's oh. trying to do his act. He's just trying to begin. And he, he starts in. And then Milton Burl comes up on stage and said, step aside, kid. I'll show you how a real comic works. Ow. Now, he says this to Hank Garrett. That is a big ouch. But guess what happened? The crowd booed Milton Burl they thought that was just too rude so they gave him the business
3: wow what a night (laughs) yeah that's a great story i'm not likely to forget that one that's amazing yeah you know we're trying to entertain people We're people that get on stage and have the chutzpah to go and and to you know you got to prepare an act you've got to hone it you've got to Uh, get yourself together and get, you know, in my case, you've got to get your voice all warmed up like a musical instrument. You've got these ideas you want to spread. Your whole intention is to make an audience feel a little bit better than when they came in. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something to be respected. We're all trying to work together to pull it off and people that are putting on the brakes on that and, and uh, giving people a hard time. I, I think it's beautiful that in that story that the audience recognized that Milton Berle was, was being, you know, a crass idiot, and uh, and and gave him what for? I think that's pretty cool.
2: We have a, a a guest coming on next Saturday, whose book we're reading about tricksterism, and it just it hit me like uh, like a ton of bricks. I said Jim Mescamman is a voice trickster because you expect one thing and then you get something else. It takes you by surprise. And with tricksterism, it's all for play. It's all for fun. And I don't I don't see where you do this in order to, you know, be mean or get revenge or anything like that. This is all to take people by surprise and make them laugh. So yeah, I, I think you, of you, you raised, as a voice you, you trickster, raised, Jim. You, what do you think you, about that?
3: You, well, you raised a, uh, an important point. You know, in the Oval Office, for example, sometimes... Uh, you know, people put uh I, I don't mind. It's they they'll take a whoopee cushion and put it in the you know, that's just like you said, it's 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 tricky dick. A tricky it's nick it's Nixon. It's tricker Dixon. It's it's Mrs. Dixon, it's it's trickery. And I, I, I you know, that's just not that's not for me.
0: But you're able to generate rapid fire, all these wonderful voices with an incredible fidelity, Jim. I just marvel. In fact, I said to Suzanne, after listening to the first two YouTubes of this morning over our breakfast coffee, I said, I did not believe that Robin Williams could be impersonated or an impression of him done to that degree of fidelity. I didn't think somebody could do it as well as you do it.
3: Quite astonishing. Oh, thank you thank you very much. You know I've been doing the Blue Genie character for Disney since uh, really before Robin passed, uh, Robin had to approve my my impression and uh, he did and um, it, it's a, now these days it's like sort of a, when it does come up, it's sort of an honor to be able to carry that character forward. Ten thousand years can give you such a quick in the neck. <laughs> it's like I think I I think I'm
0: listening to Robin Williams. Yes. It's just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. really is amazing. Absolutely. I'm tempted to say, Jim, that I don't know how much time you spent with the late gentleman, but uh, I wonder if there is some kind of soul connection, if you will, yes. because you get him like nobody else I've ever heard even attempt to do an impression of Robin Williams.
3: Oh, thanks. I you know, I spent pretty much no time at all with him. I. Uh, I, I met him once or twice, uh, but no, I, I didn't have the good fortune uh, to do that. But thank you. That's very kind. I mean, in acting, this is what we do. We try to become the other person. And uh, it can be done very rapidly. But, of course, you know, you have to practice. And uh, uh, I find uh, I, there are characters that I uh, have generated that decent impressions of because I like them. You know, I, I when I watch them on TV or in movies, I want to be that character. I um, this is something my mom talks about all the time. She wants to be another person, and of course, that's a that's a very big package. I mean, every every person, every living being, is a whole big package of of characteristics and qualities. And so, what we actors do is try to, you know, as try to as much as possible absorb those qualities and then present them, kind of give them back, duplicate them, and then put them out again. And uh, you know, in Robin's case, it, I did. I felt, uh, you know, when I watched him, it would be like. Oh, you know, you just want to sort of be that kind of warm, wonderful guy, and then sound the way he sounds. And um, uh, Woody Allen's the same way. You know, when I was growing up as a child, I watched Woody Allen movies. And I'd come out of the theater, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ask my mom, "Do you mind if we stop off for, you know, a, a, a cream soda somewhere and a bowl of matzo ball soup?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: There. Uh, Uh, That's a fantastic Woody Allen. Yeah. Which allows me the opportunity to ask you, Jim, do people ever criticize your use today? Do they criticize yours or anyone else's attempt to do an impression of a controversial figure like Woody Allen?
3: Uh, You know, sometimes it's mentioned, I guess. Uh, I don't get criticized for it. But, uh, you know, this is the thing. I mean, the point is, the personality can be used uh, to evoke something, to make a statement about something. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it has a lot of baggage attached to it, then maybe it'll get in the way of the of the bit. You know, maybe it'll get in the way of the presentation you're trying to do. For a while, I didn't do Robin Williams after he passed because he didn't represent what he used to represent. And uh, the fun and the thinking outside the box and the creativity was not in the forefront of most audiences' mind. What was was the tragedy uh, at this point enough time has passed that we can kind of skate over that and uh, unless we address it directly we, we can just remember the larger legacy uh, so you know I think again you, if you if you go with someone that you have a lot of affinity for uh, generally there's a good reason for that they're decent people they they have a good reputation and uh, and there will be a, a long-lasting thing. Like, uh, for instance, I like to do that uh, voice of that Tommy Lee Jones, a terrific actor. And, uh, you know, he has not soured in the public eye for any reason. You know, luckily he hasn't run for office or uh, or been uh, canceled by any kind of a strange faction. So we can still enjoy it the way he talks and the way he thinks and this kind of impatient way he has. I also do that uh, uh, Colonel Sanders. Uh, and that's a fellow who, uh, you know, I suppose they could try to tear him down, but since he passed away in 1980, I don't think he's going to be much affected by it, just uh, off the top of my head.
0: Now, which which one of the current commercials <laughs> features you? Because I see the others, I can recognize their faces, but I mean, are you one
3: of those voices? I'm I'm a, I'm the voice when you don't see the Colonel. I'm out on radio, and when they just show the buckets and the hands of the Colonel indicating things and the the biscuits rolling into the thing, I I'm that Colonel. So currently in okay. commercials, you don't currently in commercials you see uh, actors uh, portraying families, you know, eating and uh, enjoying a bucket of of the fine chicken, and uh, you'll hear a voiceover, and uh, and that is that's of the job that i've been doing for the last six years actually good for you and that's
0: a winner for kfc i have to say
3: yeah well i appreciate it so (laughs) i've been making these videos that i put up on i just put up one yesterday uh of colonel sanders uh like archival phone call recordings you know lost phone call recordings of colonel sanders talking to different celebrities and uh, I just put up one yesterday of, of Johnny Depp calling uh, Colonel Sanders because, you know, Johnny Depp is so um, he's, uh, worried about his career and uh, he's having a tough time with this case and this trial. Uh-huh. And uh, so he asked colonel for, the colonel for advice. And anyway, it's it's fun for me to do. I enjoy it. And I invite all your listeners to go onto my YouTube channel and check out the, the uh, lost recordings of Colonel Sanders. They're a lot of fun.
0: You know, it's a matter, too, of adapting what you have seen and heard others do. And I have a specific answer. You mentioned Johnny Depp. I I admire the gentleman. I think he's a wonderful performer. I especially enjoyed him in Going Back a Ways here in the movie Ed Wood. I thought it was just terrific. I ran out and bought the DVD through eBay. I just wanted to possess that so I could watch it whenever I want to. In that movie, it seems to me, Jim, and we're talking about voices here a lot today, Johnny Depp seems to have borrowed from John Lovitz, so that when he is portraying Ed Wood, there's a lot of, well, my next one will be better. Now, there's a,
3: a Johnny Finegla type voice. Hmm, maybe so. Yeah, Johnny Depp is great. He creates these very unique characters. He's, a, he's just an actor's actor. And uh, Martin Landau is great in that movie as well. That's a, a charming, charming movie. The, the friendship between... Bela Lugosi and Ed Wood is 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 depicted so so lovingly, and it's a very funny movie. I I like it a lot too. I don't I don't blame you for uh, for going out and getting your own copy. It's it's terrific.
2: Are there any raspy voiced women that you imitate?
3: <laughs> raspy voiced women.
2: Well, I, I couldn't, it couldn't possibly be Edith Bunker. Watching, <laughs> watching. But,
3: but enough about B. Arthur. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a pretty good, yeah, that's a good Jean Stapleton. I knew Jean Stapleton. <laughs> she was a friend of my mom. She, uh, they toured together in Arsenic at Old Lace. Actually, Edith
2: was one of the, one of the voices I used to do when I was a boy. And uh, oh. there's not much call for it anymore. But it's, it's a great character. Very good. Okay. <laughs> we're getting thumbs There's up range. from Benny in the studio. Okay. Benny approved right there. Benny approved. <laughs>
0: so, I guess, uh, you know, we're I, running we out of time raspy, here, but I just want to ask voice. you. Oh, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim.
3: No, no, it's fine. I, I, Whoopi Goldberg has a little bit of a raspy voice, you know? Yes. She, she actually does talk this way pretty much. So anyway, but I, I don't, I don't do her in my act for obvious reasons.
0: Well, that's right. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm sure you could perfect it. At the moment, you remind me of George Burns when you're (laughs) doing
3: (laughs) it. And that's okay, too. (laughs) Oh, sure, sure. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever reaches you. That's the important thing. It's the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as you know.
0: Exactly. And with the cigar, I could, whenever you would hold it up, I could smell it through the TV.
3: That's right. smell a vision is a, a big thing.
0: I am sorry that we have to say goodbye. I feel like we just are getting warmed up with you, Jim Meskimen. But let's do this again. What a life you are living. And your bravery, your willingness to put yourself out there is extraordinary. I honor you for that. And I hope that you'll come back and pay us another
3: visit. Oh, what a kind thing to say. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Have a great day. And uh, yeah, I'll come back and we'll talk some more.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful having you on. And stay tuned for American road trip talk at one o'clock today with host Gary Mance back on the yellow brick road. That's right.
0: Have a great weekend, everyone. Always glad to have you with us right here at AM 1150 in Seattle.